This is the FM Gold channel of All India Radio. In the program News Analysis, we now bring you a discussion on security scenario in the Indian subcontinent. The participants are Alok Bansal, strategic analyst, and Sudhiranjan Sen, journalist. India has taken a very very strong stand at the United Nations. Not only has it said that Jammu and Kashmir is an internal issue and Pakistan is trying to use the United Nations human rights platform to kind of, you know, further its agenda. It has also referred to Haqqani network, the Lashkar-e-Toyba and the Jaish-e-Mohammed and its activity in Afghanistan and has said that peace and reconciliation cannot go forward in an atmosphere of terror. Alok Bansal first and foremost, what do you make of the sparring between India and Pakistan in the United Nations? See, we need to understand that uh, Pakistan has been ceaselessly raising issues concerning human rights violations in Jammu and Kashmir. Coming from a country like Pakistan, which has no local standby firstly on Jammu and Kashmir, because Jammu and Kashmir acceded to India like any other princely state. And United Nations accepted that Pakistan and the tribal raiders who had come from Pakistan were the aggressors and had asked them to vacate it, had not done so, thereby accepting that Jammu and Kashmir is an integral part of India. Having done that, Pakistan not only illegally occupied a part of it, it divided it into two parts, for which he is making so much of noise today. That had been done by them in 48-49 without recourse to any constitutional means. In 74, they did away the state subject rule, thereby trying to change the demographics of Gilgit-Baltistan. So both Gilgit-Baltistan and Mirpur Muzaffarabad, which they call as AJK, the people are fed up with Pakistani occupation. People have been protesting. The human rights violations there is actually well known. In fact, if we go through the reports that have come from international interlocutors like Baroness Emma Nicholson, who submitted her report in European Parliament, where she said categorically that the situation in Pakistan-occupied Jammu and Kashmir is far worse and International Crisis Group, Human Rights Watch, all these organizations said that the situation in Gilgit-Baltistan was far worse. We have activists like Baba Jan who have been languishing in jail for a number of years in Gilgit, Pakistan. Pakistan by itself, the human rights position in Pakistan is pretty bad. If you look at sectarian minorities, Ahmadiyas cannot call themselves Muslims. They cannot call their place of worship as mosques. Their graves have been dug up because they had Quranic inscriptions in it. They cannot vote in an election by calling themselves as Ahmadiyas. What sort of human rights violation it is? If you look at religious minorities, you saw a Sikh girl who was recently forcibly converted. There are a number of Hindu girls who have been abducted and converted. Human rights violation in Pakistan is actually a norm. Not only religious minorities, you look at ethnic minorities. The way Baloch have been treated recently, in fact yesterday itself in Geneva itself, the Baloch activists actually showed a video where they showed the unmarked grave in Turbat where hundreds of bodies came out of that unmarked grave. These were people, Baloch activists who had been shot at by security agencies and dumped in an unmarked grave. You are seeing what is happening in Karachi every given day. Somebody or the other from MQM, which they now call MQM London, is being arrested. The party which controls the city, which has the biggest support in Karachi, is not allowed to function, is not allowed to contest elections. Whoever is appointed as the convener of that party has been eliminated, including professors. So that is the state of Karachi. You go to interior synth. Again, you have a problem. The Bashir Qureshi, the leader of GSN, Kami Mahas, the largest nationalist party has been eliminated. Today, you see in Pakhtun Belt, Pakhtun Tafaz, PTM, the movement which is there, its MPs have been arrested for leading a mass because security forces 
have imposed restrictions on them. The members of parliament have been arrested without any charge, without any trial, without anything. So country like this, when it starts talking of the so-called human Mm -hmm. rights, it looks like cattle calling pot black. Mm. So something, that is what is happening. And today, the world by and large has acknowledged that Pakistan regularly violates human rights. In fact, if you see the religious freedom report that has been coming out, says Pakistan is one of the worst offenders as far as the world is concerned. Of course, now the whole world knows that it has also emerged as the epicenter of terror. The Afghan government was right, in fact, today, when we mark the 18th anniversary of that sad incident when twin towers were brought out. Yes. The Taliban and associated organizations fired a rocket US embassy and Afghan government has been very clear in saying that the terror attacks in Afghanistan, the previous one as well as this one, were planned and executed from Pakistan. So Afghanistan and the global community at large realizes that Pakistan has emerged Epicenter of terrorism, so to say. Before we move on, one quick thing. I mean, we've also heard the United Nations Commissioner of Human Rights kind of trying to tell that India and Pakistan should sit down. And I mean, there's also been a demand that you need to undo the lockdown, so to say. They've used the term lockdown, you know, the telecom curves and all that. Does it mean, therefore, I mean, although isolated that it is, Pakistan is, it's getting some traction in the international fora. Firstly, we need to understand that we ourselves in Shimla agreement said that this matter will be resolved bilaterally. So that's what they are saying. They are actually supporting our point of view. What Pakistan tried in collusion with China was to raise it in the United Nations Security Council. And what we saw, the 13 members out of 15 opposed it. So that is the level of support that Pakistan draws. Completely isolated in... As far as international community is concerned, yes. But in Geneva to say that prevent the lockdown, yes. To a Western audience, if you say that internet has not been provided. But the fact is that today 92% of the areas of Jammu and Kashmir, there is complete freedom. So there is not an issue. The only problem is that we have not been successful in highlighting the grave human rights violations that have been happening in Pakistan with impunity. Or so to say, you know, the kind of terrorists they have pushed into Jammu and Kashmir and the kind of human rights violation they have committed on our people. There is no doubt about it. In fact, today, that fact is, I think, widely acknowledged. I think the global community at large, even Afghanistan and every South Asian country today accepts that Pakistan breeds terrorism in actually pushing terrorism. In fact, if you see John Mattis' interview which had come some time back, he said the most difficult country in the world is Pakistan. Pakistan. So, the world acknowledges that here is a country which is not only breeding terrorism, it's armed with nuclear arms, it's breeding radicalism, it's actually breeding fundamentalists and has large number of terrorist organizations. And that is what India has been saying and we have said that Pakistan is the one which has been preventing peace from returning to Afghanistan because India said that there should be direct talks. Unfortunately, what had happened was that Pakistan had managed to hoodwink US for some time where they said that they need to negotiate with those people of Taliban who were under their their control. So Mullah Biradar was leading the delegation and now India said that there should be direct negotiation between the Afghan government and the people who are outside the government. They should negotiate. But Pakistan is a and that's why you are seeing this sort of activism because Pakistan realizes if that if there is peace in Afghanistan without Pakistan having a role in it, it has got serious problems. While at one level we see Pakistan talking about human rights, try to put the spotlight on to India, they have also now at a separate fora, that is the FATF, answering quite a large number of questions as to what, what all they have done. In fact, 125 questions they are answering. At the same level, the economy 
is very, very poor. People in Islamabad, how do they expect to manage all these things? See, we need to understand. I think that the international community realized there are countries and black sheep like Pakistan, which will keep paying lip service to countering terrorism, but will keep supporting terrorist outfits. So they realize that the lifeblood of terror is finance. So we need to curb finance. As a result, the Financial Action Task Force had placed them in grey list because very clear-cut indications that finance and funds were being routed through Pakistan to various outfits which were directly involved in terror or were supporting these outfits. As a result, it's been placed in grey list. Now, IMF has said very categorically that if you remain in IMF list, you will not be able to service the debt that is there. From 8th to 10th September, Pakistani team was there to answer questions to FATF. I don't think so FATF is going to be satisfied by the wishy-washy answers that Pakistan is going to give and they are going to get blacklisted sooner or later. As and when it happens, Pakistan is going to be in dire problems. Please understand its debt has been ballooning. And they cannot service their they debt. They cannot service their debt. They have a huge problem. In fact, the foreign exchange reserves of $15 billion is primarily because of the funds that have been borrowed from various agencies. And uh, they are having a serious, serious issue. Not only is balance of trade adversarial, they have a serious current account deficit as well. To add on another dimension, yesterday we all of a sudden heard that uh, President Trump has called off the Taliban talks. All the Taliban says it's in talks and it has said that, you know, there are two ways out of the situation, either negotiating it or fighting it. The talks are called off by President Trump, who was supposed to meet uh, their representatives in Camp David. Does this at all in any way change the situation for us and for Pakistan. This is a very, very significant thing and I mentioned about it. Whole Pakistani adventurism gained a new momentum when President Trump agreed to talk to Taliban. Because what happened was that when you start talking to Taliban, Pakistan they, gets legitimacy. Pakistan comes center stage because the Taliban leadership is in Pakistan. Their, their creation, their leadership is housed there. And when US wanted to negotiate, Mullah Biradar, who had been in their jail for over 10 years, was actually, he hmm. was the chief negotiator. He was under the direct control. The other negotiators were also ISI, closely aligned with ISI. So as long as the negotiations were going on, Pakistan had assumed a salience. So when Khalidzad went to Doha, he went by Islamabad. Pakistan thought they were very, very important and they had put Afghanistan on the back foot because President Ashraf Ghani and his spokespersons were not allowed in the negotiations. They were allowed to participate as private citizens, not as the government's representative. So Afghan government was getting delegitimized and a country like Pakistan was gaining significance. But sooner or later, President Trump realized through the game, realized that this outfit, which is a creation of Pakistan, is not going to shun violence. They are actually habitual terrorists. They are not going to give it up. They will continue to indulge in violence and he has accordingly called off the negotiations. And that has actually proved to be a big, big setback for Pakistan because please understand, Taliban as a part of government in Afghanistan will sooner or later capture power in Afghanistan. If they are allowed to give a place, they capture power, they are going to export this terror to entire region. Entire. This would have been a serious, serious problem for countries like India, Iran and other countries, Central Asian countries. So, in a way, it is in our favor that the talks have been pulled out. It's 40 to us, we can say. Very, very good for us. And I have been very, very strongly against any talks with Taliban because Taliban cannot be moved away from terror because please understand, people don't often understand that there is a theological connect 
between Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda's jihad cannot theologically sustain itself if Taliban comes to a negotiated settlement. Please remember, Al-Qaeda has always talked of waging a jihad under Amirul Muminin, who is the leader of Taliban, not under Osama bin Laden or Ayman al-Jawahiri. If Taliban negotiates, then Al-Qaeda cannot sustain. So Al-Qaeda would have never allowed Taliban to come to a negotiated settlement. If you were to predict the situation. I mean, Kashmir more or less coming back to normalcy. We are getting daily reports of that. And one very encouraging thing is unlike what we saw in 2016 or 2008 or 2010, there has not been deaths. People have not been, perhaps been allowed to move around as freely as they wanted. But at the same point of time, the good part is this. How does it play out now? Because without Kashmir, Pakistan doesn't exist. By end October, we must take some steps which start showing results. Results to the people, because please understand this reorganization is in the interest of the people, common people, and they must start realizing it. And I have been advocating for a long that we need to invest big way. And the first thing which we can invest is in creating new urban conglomerates. The Jammu and Kashmir state needs a few new cities especially a new capital. Every year the capital shifts from Jammu to Srinagar and Srinagar to Jammu causing 150 crores expenditure. One set of infrastructure remains infructuous. Every time it's lying idle. The amount of allowances that the state government employees have to be paid is phenomenal. The houses, offices, everything remains. So one capital somewhere midway between Jammu and Srinagar would kickstart the economy. You could probably bring back the Kashmiri pundits, settle them. All the requirements that you had of defense colonies, this colonies, everything could be met. That There could be new industrial parks or SEZs that could be created. And I think that should come. And the moment this happens and you see that Kashmir is thriving, the citizens would definitely enjoy it. And Pakistan, as it is on the verge of collapse, and once this card is also taken away from this, the collision, the cohesion that you see within Pakistan, whatever little is left after these so many fault lines, would also vanish. And you will see Pakistan actually dithering. No, Pakistan may be dithering, but that doesn't mean that they will give up mischief. See, they have been creating mischiefs, and I think they will continue to create mischief as long as a state entity called Pakistan survives and is driven by two-nation theory. So either Pakistan has to give up the so-called ideological affinity with two-nation theory, which is extremely divisive ideology, or Pakistan would cease to exist. Now, Pakistan has to take a decision whether this over-reliance on religion, faith, etc. is going to benefit them in the long run, or they need to actually evolve as a pure territorial state as most of the countries of the world are. Thank you so much, sir. You were listening to a discussion on security scenario in the Indian subcontinent. The participants were Alok Bansal, strategic analyst, and Sudhiranjan Sen, journalist. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. This program is also available on our website, newsonair.com. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com.